Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. It's a great day to get together to explore and discover what God has for each of us in these next few moments. He's always doing something new, drawing us closer, deepening our spiritual roots, and making us a little more like Jesus. Even when His work is behind the scenes and we don't get to see instant results, we can trust that He is at work and His work is always good. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. We're in the business of helping people figure out what it looks like to become more like Jesus in their lives. We love to help people figure out the next step on their spiritual journey. Since you are people, that means you. We're praying for you. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. We're a church of good old regular people people trying to clean up their messy lives one step in the right direction at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to be in process, figuring it out. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on, this is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Now, let's join our service. Welcome. Welcome to those of you online as well. Welcome to the last message in our series, Harnessing the Power of Words. Uh, I have to say, it's been encouraging hearing from you this past month as you've processed the way you use your words with me. It's been a little bit different at home and around the office. Everyone's been just a little tense. Every time a conversation begins to slide south around me, I look at the other person and say, don't say anything that will give me my next sermon illustration. <laughs> I don't understand why nobody wants to be around me. Okay, just kidding. Well, not really, because I actually did say that a time or two, but we were having fun, not saying anything we'd regret. And they all know that I would never directly out them without their permission. I'd change the names to protect the innocent or the guilty, depending on how you look at it. You know, my fellow pastors, Nichelle Stuck, Don Grouse, Anya Gertz, and my wife, Schmidi. <laughs> that way you'd never know who I was talking about. <laughs> Which illustrates what we've been discovering this past month. Words have power. They have the power to give life as they bring joy and laughter, as they build up and encourage, uh, and they have the power to take life, making someone feel small, less than, uh, to make them believe that they are not enough, that they'll never be enough. That's power. And because we've all been on the giving and receiving end of those kinds of words, we know that they leave scars that can last a lifetime. They mess with our minds, which is why we are exploring a different way. That's not the kind of people we want to be. 
The world has plenty of those kind of people, people who use their words to firebomb other people's lives. Instead, we are the kind of people seeking to take our cues from Jesus. We're the kind of people on a journey to live out the one command Jesus left his followers with. If you've been here for the whole series, you already know uh, what I'm talking about. As we've done for the last uh, few weeks, let's read what Jesus said together from John chapter 13. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. We take our cues from Jesus. We spend our lives in the pursuit of love. Love is what transforms our lives. The receiving of love to be sure, but even more, the giving of love. Loving like Jesus transforms us. Over time, we begin to think like, believe like, and act like Jesus, which is what we call spiritual growth. Loving like Jesus is the key. In every situation, we ask ourselves, what does love require of me in this moment? And then we do that. And when it comes to our words, what does love require that I say or not say in this moment? How can something so simple be so hard? But that's where we're aiming. Love like Jesus. And as we've already learned from James, Jesus' half-brother, the way we use our tongue is proof of what's happening in our heart. It's a litmus test of the work God has already done internally in us. Uh, most, it's a sign of our Christian maturity. More tongue control is the outcome of the Holy Spirit's good work in all areas of our lives. Uh, look at it this way. Uh, the Apostle Paul told the church in Galatia that when we walk in the Spirit, when we choose love over and over again, that the Holy Spirit will bless us with gifts. We know these gifts as the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and everyone's favorite, self-control. Against such things there is no law. <laughs> The more we choose a life of love, the more he empowers our life of love with his gifts. He gives us these gifts so that we can give them away. It's kind of like when you have small kids and at Christmas you take them shopping to buy a gift for, for their mom or dad. You are the one buying the gift, but it's not a gift they get to keep. It's a gift they give away. Same thing here. The Holy Spirit gives us these gifts to give away. And the more we give them away, the more we have to give away. And it changes us in the process. We become more like Jesus. And one proof of that change is what comes out of our mouths. We ooze love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control out of our mouths. Now, after we set the stage with James, we looked at what Jesus had to say about the way we use our words. Of course, his thoughts aligned with James's thoughts on the subject, which is great because James got his thoughts from Jesus in the first place. We were just fact-checking. Jesus added the warning to not be careless with our words. One day, we'll be held to account for our careless words, which means that we have to be pretty careful about the impact of our words on other people. 
We don't want to be the kind of people who give the devil a foothold in someone else's life by the way we use our words. That's carelessness. And we don't care less because love requires that we care more. Those first two weeks laid the theological foundation for what came next, which is how to practically apply that theology in our daily conversations. We started by talking about the relational gaps that we have with everybody by virtue of the fact that we are all different. We all see life in different ways. Our different life experience, our different filters and assumptions and biases and pains and spiritual maturity leave us with, with relational gaps that we want to keep as small as possible. The best way to do that is in real-time conversation, not after the fact. None of us likes hard conversations, so if we can learn to keep the gap small in real time, we decrease, decrease our chances of ever having to have hard conversations. So we looked at what love requires in real-time conversations. But even our best efforts might not keep those gaps small. After all, we aren't the only ones in the equation. We can control how we navigate gaps, but we have zero control how the other person navigates gaps. So hard conversations are inevitable. But even there, we have a path forward. Love never fails. So love provides a way to have successful, redemptive conversations. Which, by the way, we also discovered that the ability to speak the truth in love is another characteristic of our Christian growth and maturity. Okay, now that, that brings us up to speed. All of those messages are online, so if you missed one or need a refresher, head over to our website later this week. So the way we use our words is evidence of our Christian maturity. And on the other side of the coin, the way we use our words not only reveals the state of our heart, but can actually be a roadblock on our journey to become like Jesus. If you've brought your Bible with you, why don't you turn or navigate to Philippians chapter 2. As a side note, I generally use the New Living Translation uh, when we look to God's Word. For this passage, I, we will be using the NIV uh, simply because I memorized these verses years ago before they updated their language and so they're seared into my memory and I knew that if I didn't use something close I'd be tripping over my words the entire message. Uh, this, uh, this is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, hence the name Philippians. I'm not sure why they weren't called the Philippianese. Maybe one of you can research that and get back to me. Here in, in chapter 2 of Philippians, Paul paints a beautiful picture of the humility of Christ, urging us to be of the same mind as Jesus. Since Jesus modeled what living a life that honors God and others looks like for us, Paul continues, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now uh, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work that is powered by God so that God will fulfill his good purpose in you, through you, around you. And how do we do that? 
Well, never one to leave us hanging, Paul tells us how. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine like stars among them, among them like stars in the sky. Do everything without complaining. That's the old NIV word, or arguing. No complaining, no arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Let's just let that sit and simmer for a while and work our way backwards. These two verses actually have a fair bit of theology packed into them. So starting from the last sentence, focus on the phrase, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. This is our purpose. Yours, mine, everyone's really, even creation's purpose, technically. We exist to reveal the glory of God. This is true for everyone and everything, not just Christ followers. Everything in all of creation, created things and created people, good and evil, everything reveals or will reveal the glory of God in some way. Someday, even evil will reveal the glory of God's truth and justice and holiness. And someday, we will reveal the glory of God's grace and mercy and love. But we don't have to wait until someday. We can begin to fulfill our purpose now. That's why the Apostle Paul also told us through the church in Corinth that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And as we looked at last week through the Colossian church, Paul told us that whatever we do or say, we should do or say as a representative of Jesus. He tells us to do this now because we reveal God's glory now, not just someday. This is why we exist at all. And it is a holy privilege that we get to do it from the grace, mercy, and holiness side of things and not the justice side, which we deserve more than the other. So, beginning now, we reveal that glory to a crooked and depraved generation. At least we're called to reveal that glory to a crooked and depraved generation a warped generation. We, we, the people of God, are called to shine the light of God, called to make the glory of God visible to the people not of God in order to help them find God. In the darkness, we shine the light of God's glory so that those stumbling around in the dark might find the light. For most of us, this isn't new information. Just a reminder. Periodically, we need to be reminded. Backing up a little further, we find our how. How do we reveal the glory of God to a crooked and depraved generation? We do this by becoming blameless and pure. Focus on the becoming more than the blameless and pure. On this side of heaven, we never become truly blameless and pure, but we are becoming we are becoming more like Jesus. The more we become like Jesus, the brighter we, be, we shine. Our love, our joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control shines brighter, revealing the glory of our Father. Now, so far, so good. 
except now we've reached the part that we don't like. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, without complaining or arguing. Now, I've got to be honest here. I wish that Paul had put this a different way. I wish he'd have said, do the things you like to do without grumbling or arguing. I don't know about you, but that seems a lot easier to me, more realistic. He also could have said, when you are in public, do everything without grumbling or arguing. I could make that work. That makes sense. Don't complain in front of witnesses. I also would have preferred do everything without grumbling or arguing, uh, but when you need to vent, that's okay. As long as it's with a close friend and there are no other witnesses. Like, is anybody else with me? <laughs> but no, he gave us do everything without grumbling or complaining. And put that way, grumbling, in the words of the great Looney Tune Yosemite Sam, is more of an under your breath, frickety frick frack suffer and tash that no one else hears. <laughs> he means we don't get to grumble or complain with our inside voice either. Because what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. God cares as much about what runs through your mind as he does about what comes out of your mouth. And in case it isn't clear, this is the hitch in our get-along, as my grandmother would say. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you means that grumbling and arguing actually stop us from becoming and dims our light. Okay, now if you're here in the room, you should have a good old Lincoln penny attached to your bulletin. This would be a good time to uh, pull, it, uh, pull it off and look at it. If you're watching online, like last week, one of the perks of actually being physically present during the service is that when we go all out, you get to be a part of it in person. Last week, we gave everyone nine-cent dice. This week, everyone gets a good old Lincoln penny. We really know how to bring it home. Uh, those of you online are just going to have to use your imagination or keep watching me. I have a big one for you to see. It is inflation, after all. We have an idiom here in the United States. There's probably a version in whatever country you might be watching from. But here in the U.S., we say, don't be the penny holding up the dollar. There are other variations like don't be the dime holding up the dollar or the nickel holding up the dollar. In the context of work, it means don't be the unimportant guy holding up the important guy. Like when someone gets, something gets buried on my desk and someone else is waiting for me to do something so that they can move the ball down the field. I'm the penny holding up the dollar. I'm the guy keeping real work from happening. In this case, grumbling and arguing are the penny holding up our spiritual growth. It's, it's all in those three simple words, so that you. Don't complain so that you, which also means do complain and you won't. Complaining is the penny holding up the dollar of your righteousness. But it gets worse than that, really. Here's what I found to be true. Complaining loves an audience. 
It's way better to have someone to commiserate with than to be miserable alone. If I'm going to be miserable, I might as well have company, right? So not only does my complaining keep me from becoming righteous, it brings you down with me. Now I'm responsible for bringing you down. Just like two wrongs don't make a right, two complainers don't ever make the situation better from God's perspective. Never. And from God's perspective, even if your complaining hits the right ears and it does actually change something, it actually gets something done to improve the situation, there is still a cost to your righteousness. Because love never requires complaining. It's not like God is sitting up there watching and he sees me complaining to someone about that thing. And I actually bend the right ear and that, uh, and that someone fixes that thing. So God says, well, Chris, this time I'm going to let this one go. I won't ding your righteousness because you got someone to do something. Results matter, so you're off the hook. Good one. <laughs> there is a what does love require way to address every situation? But complaining, arguing, and grumbling is never the way of love, even if it gets results. And who likes to hang around complainers anyway? I don't need help from anyone to bring me down. I'm quite good at that on my own. I have soundtracks on repeat running in my own head all of the time. Being around your complaining just takes more of the wind out of my sails, just like you being around my complaining takes more of the wind out of your sails. There is nothing spiritually redeeming or uplifting about complaining or arguing or grumbling ever. That's what Paul is communicating here. And when I complain, there are consequences. I don't become, which means I don't shine like God desires, which means someone lost might never be found. I, do you really want someone else's eternity to hang in the balance because you don't like the assignment that your boss gave you? Or because your wife expects you to help out with the dishes and you hate doing the dishes? Or because your husband forgot to hit the hamper? Do you want someone else's eternity to hang in the balance because that business screwed up your order? Or because that person was rude to you? Or Netflix makes it too hard to find what you want in a sea of options? You get the picture. You're smart people. None of these things seem like they should impact your spiritual journey. But they do. And let me take it up one little notch. Don't complain about that either, by the way. <laughs> Have you ever been discontent? Like, I'm single, but I want to be married. Or I'd be happier if I made more money. Or I drove a better, newer car. Or I had a bigger house. Isn't discontentment just another way of grumbling and arguing and complaining? It's, it's saying that I know better than God does about what's best for me. And it's a penny holding up your dollar, keeping you from shining for his glory. Again, there is a what does love require way to handle every situation. It's just not complaining or arguing or grumbling. The door to God's blessing never opens that way. Well, there is one exception, I guess. We are allowed to make our complaints to God. 
King David and the other psalmists taught us that. In fact, Psalm 142 begins this way. I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all of my troubles. It is totally acceptable to pour out your complaints to God alone. Which, if you're going to complain, you might as well go to the top anyway. He's the only one who can really change the situation most of the time. Because most of the time, the situation that really needs changed is the state of my heart. Think about it this way. If God is sovereign overall with a plan that is being played out on the universal stage, and I am a part of his plan, my growing in righteousness is a part of that plan. And every moment is an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Then isn't whatever I'm about to complain or argue or grumble about a God-given opportunity to become like Jesus? What if God let that guy cut you off in traffic so you could practice patience? What if that store clerk who was rude to you is a chance for you to respond with kindness? What if your cancer is an opportunity to trust God's sovereignty more deeply? What if your lack of money causes you to trust in his faithfulness to grow? What if that person who pushes you to the edge is a lesson in learning to love unconditionally? What if the loss of your loved one, in that loss you discover joy in the midst of mourning? I mean, if God has a plan, then couldn't the circumstances that you are complaining about be God designed as a part of his plan A for your righteousness, his plan to help you shine. God gives us opportunities to grow dressed up as difficult circumstances. If we grew when life was easy, that's the way he'd do it. But we don't. So when things get hard, complain to God and God alone. Wouldn't it be better to quit trying to escape your circumstances and just settle into the antidote for complaining, arguing, and grumbling? There is an antidote, by the way. I have some friends whose marriage has been in a challenging season for quite a while. And during that quite a while, I noticed a pattern. You might guess what it was given the topic of this message. Yes, lots of complaining and grumbling. On, on both sides, nothing was ever good enough. He wasn't home early enough. She didn't show enough affection. He never helped out around the house. She never kept the house clean enough. You know what I'm talking about. Neither one could ever do enough to make the other one happy, which led to lots of complaining and grumbling. And it was sucking the life out of their relationship. It was sinking their relationship and impacting their kids. There was never any win, just a lot to complain about. And the more they complained, the more there was to complain about. When I finally got them into my office together, I gave them an assignment. For one week, they were to express gratitude to and for each other. So even though he wasn't home early enough, she was supposed to thank him for coming home at all when she knew that his to-do list at work still had tons of pressure on it and he could have stayed another two hours. He was supposed to express his gratitude for what her day must, with the kids, must have required when the house wasn't in tip-top shape when he opened the door. 
one week. Just be grateful using your outside voice to the other person. It didn't address anything else. Everything else would have to come later because the gap between them was filled with the emptiness each of them was feeling because they couldn't ever do enough. Guess what happened? One week changed everything about their demeanors. Even though nothing else had changed, they had once again begun to see each other as on the same team, not on opposing sides. That's the power of gratitude. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. All circumstances includes complainable circumstances. And to the church in Ephesus, give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think in every letter he wrote, the Apostle Paul said something about giving thanks, a heart of gratitude. The Psalms are filled with give thanks. If you trust God's work in your life at all, give him thanks in every circumstance for every circumstance. And just see what happens. You never know what kind of dollar your penny might be holding up. In fact, what if God isn't changing your circumstance because he's waiting for you to say thank you? God never graduates you to the next level until you've passed the one you're on. But even then, it could be that your circumstances will never change. But your gratitude will change you. Gratitude will unlock God's blessing in any and every situation. You just don't know what that blessing will look like until later. Instead of complaining to that person about whatever circumstance is bugging you, what if you were to shine light instead? You know, Shmidi, God is doing something in me. I know that's true because I'm facing this hard circumstance. How would you shine for his glory if it were you? Will, you? will you pray that God will align my heart with his? Now you're moving toward a redemptive conversation that you've instigated about yourself. Words have the power to change everything. Why not use that power for good instead of evil? Just as there are lots of verses about giving thanks, there are lots of verses about how we talk to each other. Which means that when a complainer finds you, you have a choice to make. Colossians 4.6 tells us to let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that, you will be, so that you will have the right response for everyone. And back in 1 Thessalonians... So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. So when the complainer makes their way to us, what are we going to do? Just let them vomit all that junk all over us? Before I tell you, I want to lay some groundwork. I can't tell you how many times someone has told me, well, I didn't know if it was my place to say something when a brother or sister in Christ was venting gossiping, complaining, or grumbling, or whatever you want to call it. Let me just set the record straight for all time. If a brother or sister 
in Christ comes to you about anything, it's your place. The ability to speak the truth uh, in love is a sign of your maturity, and God has put us together to hold each other accountable. It doesn't matter who the person is. If your pastor is complaining to you, it's still your place to redirect him for God's glory. I don't have a pastor's get-out-of-complaining-jail-free card. So yes, you have every right to say something gracious and attractive and encouraging, filled with truth. It is not kindness to withhold truth from someone. That's never what love requires. So when the complainer makes their way to us, we're going to redirect them in real time. We're going to ask questions, working our way down to the root issue, and then we're going to point them to Jesus, righteousness, and love. They came to you to complain, and you redirected them to a redemptive conversation. And if they don't want to hear it, it's okay to say, you know, I'm sensing that you just want to vent. I'm not the best person for that. It isn't healthy for me. But let me pray with you before you go. I know it's not quite as easy as I've made it sound here. We carry too much emotional baggage for it to be that easy. But easy doesn't grow us to maturity, does it? On the other hand, gratitude does. As we close this series, here's what I want to leave you with. God has given you everything you need to grow in word power. He has blessed you with every blessing in the spiritual realm to become like Jesus by loving like Jesus and speaking like Jesus. Use those blessings to bless others. In doing so, you will change life after life after life, including your own. Because when you let go of the penny as you reach for the dollar, God does something spectacular in you, and it shines. Don't let your complaining and arguing and grumbling hold you back any longer. Let's pray. Uh, Father, it really is quite a charge from the Apostle Paul. No complaining or arguing or grumbling. We can't, we can't live that way without the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's just be honest here. We are just way too human to, to make it through every circumstance without complaining or arguing, without the, the Holy Spirit's good work in our lives. Thank you that we have the, the promise that Paul gives us just those couple of verses earlier that it is your good work that enables us, empowers us to good work. Oh, Father, do your perfect work in us that we may shine like stars in the universe for the glory of the God that we love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions alone or with others will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. 
My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is a responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website, or text GIVE to the number on your screen, or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on, maybe even rating us where that is appropriate. It is really encouraging to me when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may the God of all peace give you peace at all times and in every situation.